Pam and I were not with you last Sunday. Uh, we were in Kansas City, Missouri, celebrating this. That's our son, Chad, with his bride, Aaron. So I was able to be one of the officiants, so when Chad and Aaron had gotten to the front, I was able to say to him, uh, so all could hear, I said, Chad, this woman loves you deeply. And she's really beautiful. Way to go, dude. <laughs> so we also got to spend time with our family, and it was great to have everybody come in from around the country. I think we have a picture of that, too. There they are. So we've got, down at the bottom here is Natalie, who became part of our family when she was in middle school, and that's her fiancé, Joe, and then there's Chad and Pam and Dustin, who always never does anything good in a picture. He just goes crazy. And then our daughter, Christy, and then Jesse, uh, her husband, and then whoever the guy is in the picture, we're not sure, but that, that was in the restaurant. But evidently, Dustin wanted him to be part of the family because this is how this picture came on his Facebook. So, too bad, Jesse. What, what made the, uh, the wedding so incredible was that it was a community gathering. Aaron went to uh, university at Drury, Drury University in Springfield, Missouri, and she's a musician, and so she had a lot of musician friends, and they played a lot of music together and sang, and, and so she invited them all to come back for this wedding in Kansas City, and they all showed up. It was just it was an amazing, amazing musical experience, both at the wedding and the reception. Chad also had a lot of friends that he had connected to throughout the places he had gone to. I mean, he's been to five different colleges, so he had a lot of friends, and so he invited them all, and, and a lot of those friends showed up, and it was a great, great gathering, and all of them are followers of Jesus, and so when they all came together, what was amazing is that there was this wonderful celebration of love and of Jesus' presence. It was, it was just an, a wonderful experience, and, and what, what seems so apparent as you listen to them converse with each other and as we got ready for the wedding and the reception and, and all of that is that there was this, this atmosphere of generosity that if something was needed, they were willing to give. If, if something needed to be done, they were willing to help no matter what it was. God has created that atmosphere that atmosphere of generosity with his own wedding party. The, the scripture says that, that we as followers of Jesus that are part of the community of faith are his bride and we're part of this wedding party and, and he creates within this wedding party a wonderful spirit of generosity. It's how we treat each other. When the church was first birthed, this is how they were described. Luke wrote these words in Acts 4, Verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. And there were no needy, now catch this, there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. There is this atmosphere that is inherent within a true community of faith, followers of Jesus Christ, that whenever they have the resources and the need is presented, they freely give toward that need and not hold back 
thinking, what if I need this in the future? Because they know that the community of faith will always be around them to help resource whatever's needed. That's why we designate a couple weeks in the spring of the year, and yes, it is spring, that we call Compassion Weeks. These are the weeks that if our testimony is true that Jesus has resurrected and there is this resurrection power, that part of the evidence according to Scripture is the compassion we have for each other because it's the compassion of Jesus that still lives. So our generosity to others is proof of our faith. So we invite friends to join us during these weeks, and, and, and these are people who have invested in the poor, invested in... Uh, the disadvantaged, the marginalized, invested in the hurting, invested in the impressionable. And we ask them three questions. We say, what do you see as the need in the world from your corner of the world? And, and what are some of the successes you're finding as you're, as you're doing this? And, and what are the greatest challenges that you face at this moment? And we ask them that question for this reason. Because we as the community of faith are ready for action. That we must respond to the needs that we hear. Even this morning, James, the bishop, bishop of Jerusalem in the first century, made this statement. He said, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't, know it by your, don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you, you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is, unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show, but you, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Our actions prove our faith. So I want to introduce to you our guests this morning who are going to share their thoughts with us. And I'm going to invite them to come up and, and find their place up here. If you would do that, please. Would you welcome them? Please make sure your mics are on. You're good? Great. I want to introduce to you, I'll go through and just introduce to you who they are, and then I'm going to start asking them the questions. We're going to have some dialogue, and you're going to hear some, some wonderful reports and some challenges. Uh, seated close to me is Kathy Frasina. Kathy is the Director of Outreach and Education at The Caring Place. Please welcome her. Next to her is Phil Gernovich. He is the principal of our middle school and the high school at Erie First Christian Academy. Say hello to Phil. Next to him is Betty Lou Fox. She's the director of early education and the principal of the elementary at Erie First Christian Academy. Say hi. <laughs> Next to her is Stephanie Will. She's a student, Erie First Christian Academy. Say hi to Stephanie. <laughs> Next to her is another student, Ashley Shin. Say hi to Ashley. <laughs> And last but never least, this is Andy Kerr. He is the chaplain for the Erie City Mission. Say hi to Andy. Okay, so I want to start first with, with Kathy. Kathy, as the Director of Outreach and Education at the Caring Place, 
what do you, what, what, what are the needs that you see? What, what are the things that you're dealing with in your corner of the world? A lot of times in our lives, there are things that happen that we wish didn't. Um, things that we can't fix and that we can't change. And one of those things um, that we can only pray about um, and accept is the death of somebody. Um, our children, um, when our children have lost somebody, I'm close to them. What we do at Highmark Caring Place is provide support for that child. Many times our kids tell us a lot of feelings. They tell us they're sad, they're angry. Um, but the one thing they always tell us eventually is that they feel all alone. They don't know anybody like them who has had somebody close to them die. So what we provide at the Caring Place, thanks to Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield, is this peer support system for kids. So that it gives kids the opportunity to meet other children. Kids are our focus. Um, we're child-centered, but we're also focused on the family. So we invite the entire family to come to support groups, um, to meet other, other kids and other adults that have had somebody in their life die. That's one of the programs that we have on site, and that is offered at no cost. Another program that we have is we call an anticipatory grief program where um, when somebody has been diagnosed with an, a life-threatening illness and it's difficult maybe to tell the children. How do you tell the children? And um, so we have a program where when families call, I can sit and I can talk with them and, and help support them in, in talking to their children and explaining to their children how their world is changing right now. We do consulting for those that work with kids um, um, and adults. They all they need to do is call. We do trainings to organizations, and um, we are working presently on a pilot program that will be going into the schools eventually. So before before we came out here, you were giving me some numbers, statistics of people who are dealing with grief. Can you share that with us? And I just want to check. Can you hear her okay? Well then, let me let me borrow this microphone. I promise I'll give it back to you. Let's just let's use this one and just hold that up close to you, and that'll be great. My voice does tend to be soft. I'm sorry. Um, statistics that we have are um, out of a Harvard bereavement study. We have one in twenty children will have a parent die before they graduate from high school. One in twenty. About one out of seven hundred and fifty high school students will die. We have, in our last census, about 73,000 children died. That leaves 83% of those that have died, 83% of them have surviving siblings under the age of 18. One in seven children will have a family member die, you know, a, a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, an aunt or an uncle, before the age of 10. When those issues aren't dealt with, when People aren't given the opportunity to talk about their loss, about their death, about that special person. Many times we see that it becomes complicated. And when grief becomes complicated, sometimes we see aggressive behavior. Um, we see changes in personalities. We see people going to drugs and alcohol to, to help with the pain. Um, we see um, relationships that are difficult because of those issues that were not dealt with. Okay, thank you. All thank right. you. Why don't you just hang on to that mic for right now, and, and Phil will try and see if yours works okay. And you're a yes. coach, you can scream. Uh, is it working? Can you hear me? Okay, good, I can yell too if yeah, I have to. You can. <laughs> so what, what, do you, what do you see as the need from your corner of the world? Well, we are a school, so academically we, we really educate students. It's very important, but part of our school here that's connected to our church here is a total development of the child. So we make sure that they are developing not only academically, but spiritually and socially as well. So 
we need lots of people to do that. And we have a great staff of teachers. In fact, uh, we meet every morning and we pray for the students and they are really connected with the students. Quite often, um, we'll have our little devotion and our, our prayer meeting and, and staff members will talk about certain students and they, they really know the students, what their needs are, um, if they need help in certain subjects, but if they need help because of home life or what they're going through or certain relationships, we know that. Okay. All right. Very good. Betty Lou. Um, since I deal with the younger children, both through the early ed center and with the elementary, um, we have a, a variety of children who come to us. Some are church, some are unchurched, some are from wonderful families, some are from very difficult situations uh, at home. And so, as Phil said, our teachers really take not only the care, but the nurture, as well as the education of these children very seriously. We do have an incredible staff. Um, we also have children who perhaps have fallen through the cracks academically in other school situations. Because um, in the elementary, we keep our class sizes intentionally small, we're able to really help those children along, walk through, the, walk through that process with them, and make sure that they aren't falling through the cracks. Same with children who come from difficult situations. I was sharing with Kathy earlier that we've had children um, in our school who have actually been at the caring place because they've had um, a parent that has died, or in one situation, both parents die. And just really partnering with those community agencies to help those children walk through and be in the most uh, caring, nurturing environment that they can be. And we hear back from those children after they graduate what an impact that has made in their lives. Okay, we're gonna come back to Stephanie Ashley in just a moment. Andy, tell us what, where you see from where you are. What, what, what's the need? Well, I think for us, one of the biggest needs really is hopelessness. Uh, there is a learned hopelessness uh, oftentimes when you think of the city mission, you often think of uh, people in poverty or struggling uh, with financial issues, those kind of things, or drug and alcohol problems. But it all, all of that, are, are, those are symptoms of something that comes deeper and, and when we don't deal with this issue of hopelessness, whether it's learned because they feel like the situation that they're in or that they grew up in is hopeless or they're not gonna get out of this cycle. Um, we do see people trying to mitigate the, the pain and the hopelessness that they feel. Um, and, and a lot of times that comes out in, in, in many different ways. So we see um, poverty in our city uh, rising. Uh, it's above 30% now within the city. Um, that's almost one in three people within Erie uh, that live uh, at or below the poverty line. Um, we see uh, at, there's about 47% of African-American students in our city, uh, children that grow up in poverty. And, um, and, and the need just grows. There are actually individuals, and maybe you've seen some of the articles uh, where they, individuals living in, in tents or on the street, um, our shelters are full. Uh, constantly with a waiting list. And, uh, and so the need is obvious. I think for me it does stem back to this issue of hopelessness that, that all of these issues that we struggle with we don't know how to get out of. Um, and without, I believe without Christ, you know, they, they don't find the true hope to get out. So. And it's interesting as you say that, I remember that 
I had a conversation once with one of our former county executives, and I asked him as he was leaving office, I said, describe Erie. And he said, hopeless. He said, not that there's not hope, but most, a lot of people in Erie have this hopelessness that is part of their, their very lifestyle. Well, let's do this because this takes us away from hopelessness. I, I, I'm going to borrow your mic here, and I'm going to have Stephanie first start, and then Ashley. Would, Stephanie, would you tell us, uh, are you from the area, and what grade are you in, and, and, and what has this academy done for you personally? Well, um, I am from here. I live in McCain. Um, I'm a senior here, and... Um, Coming to school here has helped um, me grow spiritually. Um, the Bible classes with um, Mr. Johnson are wonderful. He really challenges us in our faith. Um, there's always a great energy among friends, and we all get along fairly well. Um, there are some arguments just because even siblings argue. Um, it just happens, but... For the most part, there's not, like, mean spirit among us. Um, we all get along and um, just friendly banter back and forth. Um, and also, there is a huge mission field with the dorm and the international students. Um, we, who are Christians, can shine the light of Jesus to... Um, the international students who may not get to see it or hear it any other time except for at school. So I think that's great. Okay. And, and before, before Ashley, you talk, uh, Phil, tell us how many boarding students attend the school and how many, if you, if you know the statistic, how many are international students? Um, all of our boarding students right now are international students. Some have dual citizenship, so some of them might have an American citizenship, but they've come from another country. We have 48 international students in our, in our school right now from seven different countries. So we are, as Stephanie had mentioned, it is a huge missions field. It's an outreach program, and it's, it's pretty incredible. Thank you. Ashley, where are you from, and what grade are you in? I'm from South Korea, and I'm in. I'm a junior right now at the school. I think I grew spiritually a lot at year first. Actually, I was complaining to my mom why she sent me here because it's a Christian school and there's not that many Christians, as like international students are not that many Christians are there. I was complaining, but English class we're reading mere Christianity right now, and I realized that I'm not fully Christian yet and. When the Chinese students asked me, why do you believe in God, I couldn't explain easily. And I realized that they are the ones that I have to preach. I mean, I have to tell Jesus about. And they, I think that's why God sent me here. I think that's, I think I really thank my mom for sending me here because he So Andy, let, let's uh, let's come back to you, Andy, and talk to us a little bit about some uh, maybe one of the success, success stories you've seen as a result of what the city mission is doing. Well, I'd like to talk about overall just some of the, the successes based on what we're doing to meet uh, the needs. Uh, we did just 
uh, build a new facility and, and moved uh, all the gentlemen into this facility. Actually, uh, today at 3 o'clock there is an open house and a, um, a ribbon cutting thing for that if you want to go down there and check it out. Uh, we are going to give some tours uh, through the new facility and, and such. But uh, we've gained about 18 new beds in our uh, what's called our Samaritan's Care, which is, our, uh, is the shelter part of it. Uh, and then for the drug and alcohol rehab, that's uh, our new life program. They call it NLP. And uh, we can house, uh, I think, 45 men in that, uh, on that floor. And so almost 100 individuals a night are living in that new facility now. Um, and then, uh, you know, of course, you, you probably know about or have participated in the public lunches that we do. Uh, we do the lunches there to two to 300 people every day of the week. And then we also do the meals at a second site at, uh, on the east side, and then the meals for the refuge, which is a shelter for families. Uh, and overall, with three cooks, two full-time and one part-time, we serve about 14,000 meals a month uh, through the mission. Um, they So the majority of, of the work that's done uh, at the mission actually happens through volunteers, and we could not do it. Uh, so thank you for all of you that have ha helped or prayed or, or, or given to the mission. Um, we also have a food pantry. Um, you may know about our two stores, our donation center. Um, I run the food pantry in the clothing closet. Um, actually, the, the older ladies run the clothing closet. I just I do what they tell me to do. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, but we have about uh, 550 uh, to 600 people a week that come through the food pantry to get groceries. Uh, and each one of those individuals represents a, uh, a family of people. So uh, over 500, uh, 5,500 people a month get groceries through our food pantry. Um, just one, the, one of the stories that sticks out to me. Is, am I okay? You're good. You're great. You yes. tell me, just cut me off. If I, I will. You know I will. <laughs> One of the stories that sticks out uh, to me is every day before the public lunch, we have individuals that come in uh, to do a uh, devotional, which I'm going to probably try to get your pastor to do at some point. And, okay, you're um, done now. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. And... Uh, there's an individual that's been coming to the mission for years, and, and just after the New Year's, he pulled me aside uh, in, in the back and said, I, I did an inventory of my life, and I've been coming here for years, and I asked myself, do, do I really know who God is? I mean, I know of him, but up to this point, he's just been a rumor to me. And he said, then I asked myself if I really understood who Jesus was. And I hear about him all the time here before every meal that I come to. And he said, but I don't really know who Jesus is. And I would really like to know who he is. And so I was able to say, well, do you want to just invite him into your life right now? Uh, and he said, yeah, let's do that. And we sat down in, in the, uh, at a, one of the round tables uh, in a place called the Lighthouse uh, where the volunteers eat. And he just broke loose and he, he began to cry and at, I think he's um, 76 years old invited Christ to come into his life and, and uh, he's still there uh, every, every meal uh, you can see him 
out there waiting, but you can see this huge grin on his face because he knows why he exists now. And he is telling other people about uh, Christ and his life. And, and he does know him now. And, and that's just one of many stories of just lives that are coming in contact with Jesus just through what we do. So. That's great. Can we pass that microphone down? Yeah. And, and Kathy, could you share with us just one, one story that, that represents what, what you see happening? Yes. Um, we know the grief is a lifelong process, and we know the kids grieve according to their age and developmental level. So we had a young family come through, a mom and her two daughters come through. Her youngest daughter was about seven at the time. And they came to the caring place because their dad died. And so we had that initial time with them where they were able to talk about their dad, talk about the death, talk about what has happened in their lives because of their death, their memories, and their support systems. And the family came back for the uh, a couple times afterwards. They came to a couple support groups. Now, we just started our 76th support group at the Caring Place. We've been there 13 years. So um, I will call her Emily. Emily came with her family, and Mom said, we're, we're okay now. We think we can handle this, you know, and so they didn't come back. About nine years later, about two years ago, Mom called and said, Emily's ready to graduate from high school. She really misses her dad. She's really struggling. She grieved as an eight-year-old. Nine years later, she's now 17. She's ready to graduate, and she said, my dad's not going to be there. And she struggled. So the family, mom and Emily, came back and um, went through a couple more groups. And Emily is off to college now. And last I knew, doing very well. The caring place gave her hope that life can go on without her dad, but with a lot of memories of her dad. That's great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So, so let's do this. Just hang on to the microphone, Kathy, because I think uh, instead of having you all share perhaps some of the successes, because I think we see two of them right there. Let's, let's do this. J just share what, what we as a community of faith who want to help the community at large, what your challenges are that we might be able to assist you in to help the Caring Place and the Academy and, and, the, and the City Mission. Our challenges are, um, as a clinician, we have four clinicians at the center that is able to do the programming and to, do, to meet with the families and get to know them and their needs. But we have, on an average, anywhere between 75 and 120 people at the Caring Place when we have our support groups in the evening. We cannot run our support groups without our volunteers. We do a training session, a 26-hour training session for the volunteers twice a year, and our volunteers help us support families in this community, the kids and the adults, sometimes by being in the group, sometimes by serving food, sometimes by greeting people at the door. Um, the other need that we would have is that um, I'm going to invite you to take some of our brochures that I have on a table out there. If you know of a child who's had somebody close to them die, um, tell the adult about the caring place. Um, be an ambassador for us. Let them know that there is support for them in the community, and it, it, it is offered at no cost. So um, just getting the word out that we're there for the community, for our kids. Very good. Thank adults. you. We can just hang on to that. Phil? Uh, as I had mentioned before, part of the, uh, we work with a lot of students, so it's a lot about relationships. So we have lots of opportunities because kids do things. So whether it's mentoring or tutoring, or I, I'd really challenge 
people that want to help and volunteer to think about what they really enjoy doing and match that up with one of the students that you can have a relationship with or a group of students that you can have a relationship, whether it's uh, a chess club or academic decathlon or a Bible study, um, something that, that you would thrive on because of the relationships that you have with other students. And something that, um, that we've talked about, I've already talked about a little bit about relationships, but right now we have a couple students at our sister church, Sparrow Fellowship, that's getting baptized this morning. So mm. it's good. It's very good. Excellent. Betty Lynn. I would ask you to really pray for our staff. Um, as we've said before, we have an incredible uh, group of men and women who are working on a daily basis with these children. But because we care so much about that whole child and we get burdened with the things that burden them when they're going through difficult times or struggles, we really try to approach that from a biblical perspective. And sometimes that takes great wisdom. And so please pray for our teachers that they will be given um, supernatural wisdom in, in how to deal with the, the situations that come up on a daily basis. Um, this church has a unique opportunity in that you can support the school through your giving. Um, there's a place on the giving envelopes where you can support us through that. Um, also, just through your time, as Phil has mentioned, in elementary, we do have elementary clubs where people who have a passion for something can get involved that way. Something that we're looking forward to doing in the future. We don't have it in place just yet, but um, the statistics on children who are being identified with dyslexia continue to grow uh, at almost an alarming rate. And so one of the things that we really hope to do is, is to procure a site license for uh, a program that is tailored to those children who have dyslexia and then start training tutors uh, who would be able to take uh, individual students or small groups of students through that program and really help those children achieve. Uh, dyslexic children can learn and they learn beautifully. They just learn in a different way. Their brain takes in information and processes it differently. And so we would really like to be uh, a place that can do that and can provide that for those children. Thank you. Andy. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> I'm, I'm, how, how much money do you owe Pastor Jack? I think that was the question. <laughs> That's an easy question. <laughs> uh, what, what are the needs that, that you guys are presently challenged with that we as a community of faith can be involved in? Right, thank you. Yeah. I, I actually probably one of the, would have been one of your problem students. I, I have some pretty severe ADD. So, uh, but uh, what was the? No, I'm just <laughs> I think <laughs> I have to give him more time. Uh, I think our, our needs, one is a theological one. Uh, when I think about um, the church as a whole, and, and on Tuesday night I had the privilege of speaking at the young adult thing that happened here on Tuesday night, uh, which is awesome, by the way. If you get a chance to stop by there, or if you're a young adult that hasn't gone over there yet, it's, it's powerful. Uh, not because I was speaking, but because the ministry, <laughs> the ministry is incredible. Um, and uh, I think about uh, this theological issue. We were talking about the unity of the church, and the church really, 
I believe should be leading the way in the world uh, of making change and being innovative in how we uh, meet the needs of the world. And I think in a lot of ways, the mission is, is doing a great job at meeting the needs. Uh, but we need to really enter as the church in a next phase of understanding how do we continue to meet the needs that are out there, but be ahead of the game in the world about how we then help people out of the situations that they're in. So a lot of times an individual will not listen to you um, unless, you know, they are, have a full stomach, you know, unless they um, have w- what they need. Uh, but then what do we do then? And, and when I look at the gospel, um, in the beginning when we were created and we, God placed us in the garden to, to work and to cultivate, uh, that word means to cultivate, to take what God has given us and to use it and to create. In, in the beginning, we're in the garden, and, and at the end, you see uh, the city. And so if sin never entered the picture, God still, I believe, would want us to use our brains to cultivate, to take what he's given us and, and create in art and in architecture and, and, and buildings and engineers and all that. And so if you're a teacher, if you're whatever you do for a living, I believe God wants to use those things as part of what he wants to do with, with our world, as callings in his kingdom. You know, when Jesus came, is this too much of a sermon? Okay. I'll be just, I'll tie it up. What quick was here. the question? <laughs> uh, when Jesus came to uh, redeem the world, uh, the word redeem has this, uh, and I don't know much about English, but the word, uh, the, the prefix re means to do whatever that is again. And the word, I always thought, well, what does deem mean? If you're going to deem something, what are you doing? Well, it means you, you make a, a judgment. And when I look back at, at, at when it all started, God had created all that he created, and he said, what? This is very good. And then it went very bad, very quickly. And Christ came to make it good again. And the gospel is about bringing heaven to earth in this place, to change what's broken, to see the brokenness that sin has caused, and to be the change agent in the world to turn it and make it good again. And so whatever that means, whatever skills you have, whatever gifts God has given you, um, we, as, as the mission, we need your skills. We need your personality. And discipleship really is all about investing in somebody's life and walking with them out of the brokenness that they're in. And if it's poverty, then it's walking with them out of that uh, and showing them Christ in redeeming uh, this world the way it should be. So. Very good. So, so here's the deal. Thanks. So, so here's the deal. If we see families and especially children who are grieving, if we see students who need to be shaped and, and those coming from other places around the world that, that need influence, if we see poverty and it's, it's, and it's so, so strong within Erie, can we say to them, God bless you and go on your way? When God's saying to us, I'm using you to bless them, you are my blessing to them. You are the redeemers, as Andy has shown us. You are the redeemers. You are the ones to, to bring my blessing upon them. 
And so this morning, our conclusion in just a few moments will be this. I'm going to ask you to make your way out to the lobby. There's some tables there these folks are going to be by. Go see what you can do to assist them. Now, don't go there under the, under the emotion of the moment or a sense that God's speaking to you and then hope they don't call you. Because when they call you, you better say, whatever you need, I'm, I'm here. Because they'll tell me and I'll be after you if you don't. You need to do that because that's part of the process that God has for us. It's how we help shape this community. And so please, and, and there may be a line of people wanting to, to get there. Just spend time talking to each other and just stay in that line and finish out doing what God wants us to do this morning. That's what he's called us to do. So we're going to conclude this, this time together. I'm going to ask our elders and, and council members and their spouses and staff and spouses to come up and just stand behind these folks. We're going to pray for them as we conclude our gathering. If... Come on up. And, and if this morning you want to know more about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you've heard us talk about it, you sensed something really wonderful during our, our prayer time, stop by our information desk and just say, I need to know more about Jesus. We have some information there for you and some folks that will help guide you. But I don't want you to leave here without having your questions answered. Or if you want to come by the office and see one of the pastors, please just call and we'll be glad to spend some time with you. But we want to help you in your journey. Would you stand, please? And would you join us in, in prayer for these friends and, and for what they're doing in life right now? So, Father, I thank you for these friends that are here today. I thank you for Kathy and the Caring Place, and I pray that you will continue to give them every resource they need and all the people they need who have a heart, your heart, for you understand grief. Jesus, you cried at, at the tomb of your friend who had died. You understand the grieving process. So I pray for her that you will give her the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which means both the ability and the authority to function in a place where the enemy wants people to hurt and not find hope. Instead, they will find incredible hope to the people you place in this outreach and in this ministry. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray for, for Phil. Thank you for his direction for the school that he's given them. And, and I pray now that you will continue to give uh, him influence and wisdom and ability and creativity and that you will give him favor with students and with staff and you'll supply everything that the academy needs. Thank you for Betty Lou and what she does for the younger children. I ask that all that she needs and, and, and all the, the wisdom and influence, even for those young children in, in daycare, you'll take care of everything that she needs to accomplish that. And children's lives will be shaped and formed by you even before they understand who you are so they'll grow up knowing you. Lord, I thank you today uh, for, for Stephanie and, and, and for her sense, her call to be an influence with other students. And I ask that that will continue to be accomplished in her life. And I thank you for Ashley and for sending her here. And even though she didn't really want to, I thank you, you sent her here. And I thank you that you're making a profound change in her life and she's having influence with other international students. And I thank you for the city mission. I thank you for Andy. Thank you for Rick Crocker. I pray that you will continue to provide every resource. I pray that they will continue to have great favor in this city and, and have a profound impact. And, and as Andy talked, that all of those with special giftings and creativity will, will be joined together with them and we will see this city reshaped for what you've designed for it to be. This city that is supposed to be a city of refuge and a gem city, let it be that because they have followed you and you've provided every resource. Now for this, this church family, for this community of faith, I ask you won't let us walk away from what you've placed in our heart today, that we will 
find the resources and the time to do what you've called us to do and, and to, to match up with these folks and others who are doing great things around this city. So we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, we seal these moments. In his name we pray. Amen.